You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to Land Lakes Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. We're headed down the road to Texas, uh, as you guys probably heard on the Habitat Heroes Podcast. Uh, but this is the hunting podcast. So Matt and I are rolling down the road, so ignore the, if you can hear it, the uh, road sounds. Uh, but we're here to discuss some of our recent hunts and strategies that go into this fall and trying to punch more tags. What's really, really, and I think almost every hunter probably across the country right now or this past week or as it's approaching and continuing to uh, reach different states has experienced a cold front and a pretty intense cold front for the month of October. This is the kind of the, I don't know, icing on the cake, if you will, for October bow hunting. Uh, You don't get cold fronts like this very often or this intense, and it has hit a lot of northern states, Midwest states, um, now getting down into, as we're going to Texas, there's, I also feel like we're kind of chasing this cold front down to Texas. Um, it's supposed to be cool down here, like in the 60s, yeah. which you is know, unseasonably cool. When I was packing for this trip, I was like, oh, it's Texas. I need to find some shorts and find some, like, T-shirts that are cool. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to sweat so much. And then I looked, I'm like, oh, man, it's not even that much different than where, no. where we're at. So. No, which which kind of goes to the show off the intensity of this cold front. But we've seen, I've seen pictures all over of people just taking uh, advantage of these temperatures and the intensity of daylight activity that deer are um, getting on their feet, man. And, That's and right. Lots of hunters out there showing I success. Even, I even saw a guy... I think you did as well, posted that he had already had to break out his hot hands. Yeah. Because it was so cold where he's hunting at. And I yeah. Shoot, the other night I got cold, and I was wearing my real thin, like, heat gear or, or warm weather stuff. So it was just a, uh, it was like, man, this is a very much welcome change of pace. I will take busting out cold weather gear early anytime, anytime right. during hunting season. Except, like, except for turkey season. We, we, we did that this spring, the oh. opening day. I remember that. That was snowing, and that was not, not when you wanted to bust out, bust out the cold-weather gear in a, in a early-season hunt. So, no. Um, for deer hunting, like, no, to me, is the perfect conditions and what I like is whenever you 
have to wear a jacket. Is that a deer in the ditch right here? Yep, two of them. Get out of there. Go on now. Um, so, yeah, we're just rolling down the road, and uh, just always interesting to see new country. This is part of the state, Arkansas, that we haven't ever have ever, ever been to in between Little Rock and Texarkana. And, um, I'm getting ready to go to uh, Hot Springs, close to Hot Springs yeah, now. It's kind of unfortunate because we are talking about the cold front, but we've had this meeting on schedule for a while, and it's like, well, I guess we got to go anyway. we so. gotta, we got to head to Texas. Anyway, um, and you'll probably hear more about that next week. Yeah. Um, kind of why we were down here, what we were doing down here. But um, when it comes to the hunting, you know, it's funny because we've talked about the October lull a little bit. The, the um, myths behind it? The myths behind the October lull. And, and I still hear people talking about it. And it's like we had the biggest cold front of October so far and one of the best cold fronts happening this early in, in our part of the world this early in the season. And we're still talk, there's still people talking about the October lull. And it's like, th- have you looked at social media? There's a bunch of bucks dying right now. And, uh, and people are seeing a lot of deer. There's a lot of stuff going on because of this major, major cold front. And uh, but where we're at, there's a lot of big changes happening. Um, that's really kind of tweaking our strategy and kind of leaving us a little bit scratching our heads sometimes because of so many changes that has happened. But also one of the biggest things that comes into effect is the amount of acorns that we're dealing with and yeah, we've, we've covered the kind of the intensity and the amount of acorns in the past couple podcasts and just talking about some strategy and the best ways to hunt them and we took our own advice um knowing the the amount of acorns out there and when we're talking about it it's like you go to white oak trees and it's like walking on gravel but it's yeah. actually Acorns. And, and you and see that a lot of times with, with field trees. Trees that are in the fields or on the edge of fields where Full they're just sun loaded. and everything, yeah. But we're finding that whenever you harvested that deer the other night, and we yeah. were tracking, tracking through the timber, it was like every white oak tree had that amount of acorns. Yeah. It, it's, it's, so, it's so weird because they're, it's, it's almost like every tree is just like, if you will, full potential of acorns this year. Every tree just maxed out. Yeah. Maxed out. Limbs were just packed with acorns. And now they're on the ground, accessible to deer. And a lot of that them. There's is, still a lot in the trees. And certain, uh, yeah, certain, we, were, we were here and some of them still fall. It's like, come on, just get down, get on the ground, and do your thing. Um, but no doubt the deer in our area are on acorns. Yeah. It's one of those things. Like it's a given. You can always you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. We can have the best food plots we've ever had for the fall, which is true this year. Um, we have incredible food plots, and there's still we still have work to do to improve them even more. But um, we have more food plots, more food available, and yet uh, that we had planted, that we had made um, available through TSI burning and planting. And now we have the natural food raining from the sky, basically raining from the treetops. And so we still, that's the biggest part of the game right now for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're not hunting the acorns in our area, um, you're, I'm not going to say you're not on deer, but most likely you are not seeing the deer that you're probably used to because of the just 
massive food source that there is. And, and quite frankly, they're not out in the open um, like they normally would be on, on years that just don't have acorns. So um, they're tougher to see. They're tougher to hunt. And, you know, match that, if you will, with this infamous October lull people talk about and observe, if you will, or think they observe. I could see why someone would be a little bit uh, downhearted and not want to hunt, but we look at this and say, okay, I've got a cold front coming. I've got to be out. I've got to experience this cold front, you know see what it has f- to offer, and get in the oaks. You know, you can't change it, so you might as well embrace it. And uh, If you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. Uh, you know what would be funny? Huh. And I'm not saying this is the case at all, but – it seems like the people that talk about the October lull are crop country guys. Yeah. Like hunting in crop fields or they have a bunch of food plots. That's what they're hunting. It would be kind of humorous if at some point you were in that area during the, quote, air October lull and you realize that there's acorns raining in the timber yeah, and that's yeah. where all the deer uh-huh. are. <laughs> and you're like, October lull, it's just that you're they're eating stupid, acorns. Stupid, stupid, stupid. So yeah. that would be funny and, and very well could be the case for some guys up there because the amount of – I mean, they're the southern Iowa and even mid Iowa. They're dominated with the timber is dominated with oaks, and so there are acorns, um, and it very well could be where a lot of their deer go. Who knows? But uh, for a lot of the guys in timber country, if you are around uh, acorns, uh, oak trees, you probably even in Michigan, um, you're probably dealing with with the mass uh, production trees. So. That's what we're dealing with, and that's what led into our uh, our last week of hunting was really kind of game changing, trying or changing strategies, moving around. We never hunted the same tree twice, um, and we really kind of fine tuned and and instead of um, and that's kind of one of the issues we've had in the past years was you do have multiple places to hunt, or you have. You know, we've got like 900 acres there that we can hunt. And you really kind of just like, I'm going to hunt here. I'm going to hunt there. I'm going to go to the other side. And you kind of bounce around. But what we did this past week was once we found um, the first night we saw some deer, there were lots of acorns raining down, and there was tons of squirrels moving around. And that was kind of a sign that, okay, this is an area that we know has got great acorns because there's a lot of squirrels. That's one of those little signs that you can look into and say, okay, am I in the right area if I'm trying to hunt acorns? Are there squirrels or not squirrels? Uh, There's no squirrels, and you probably need to move around and find a better area um, because the squirrels will definitely chase the acorn crop. And we were in the tree, and you could hear squirrels barking and going and chasing and going nuts, moving acorns around. It was like, okay, we're in an area that has plenty of of, uh, acorns. All right. Let's look at and let's just keep observing. And, and then d- we started seeing deer. Okay, this is a good area. Um, we haven't spooked this area. We haven't busted them out because we've hunted it uh, with caution. We've hunted on appropriate winds. Um, we have no reason not to go back there if, if the wind cooperates. And so, shoot, the next uh, few days later. Yeah. We, we get that wind. It's like, okay, well, it says it's out of the south. Let's, uh, it's kind of south, southeast. Let's go back to Amarillo. Um, that's, the, that's this location, not actual Amarillo, Texas, but that's the location on this farm. And as we're walking in, shoot, we walked off the gravel road about 100 yards or so, 
what was supposed to be a southeast wind was a north wind. That's the fun of hunting in terrain country and areas that are thick timber. Sometimes the wind, especially on a, a lighter wind day that we've talked about before, um, it's tough to hunt. So naturally for us, it was okay we've, we, to feel and experience that straight southeast wind, we, need, we have to go on the ridgetop. We can't be in the thick timber off a slope. It's not going right. to operate like a southeast wind. And so we immediately just turned and backtracked and got out of there. And knowing that we were go- we were moving in close to the bedding area, it was important for us just to get out of there as quickly as possible. So then it was like we need to get somewhere where the wind's more stable. So we went to the ridgetop, which has the food plots but also has several big white oaks around the edge which we knew were loaded with acres very productive white oaks yes so it was like all right well we're not as close to the bedding area where we're going but if they're bedded more up uh close to the food plot we should see plenty of we should see some activity especially with that colder front that was moving through experiencing um hoping they'd not wait till the last little bit of of light left and we ended up seeing some deer yeah we did and uh we actually hunted more um, on the very southeast side of a food plot, um, kind of in between uh, a little slope and a food plot, a south-facing slope. And so it was like, well, if they come up into this food plot and they go to that wide oak, then we're in the ball game. But if, if they hang out on the food plot, that's all fine. We can slip out of here without alerting them. Um, and shoot, we sat there and watched deer for a hour and a half probably yeah. out in the food yeah. plot then mm-hmm. moving to the white oaks on the edge kind of back and forth and a little finally bit of, a little bit of uh native browse there as well on the edge of the food plot yep um the the big doe she was certainly taking advantage of some of that and so we were definitely seeing activity but that's the thing uh, and that's one of the main points for this is deer are browsers they're not a single <laughs> single species, species yeah. Um, forager. They're not going to eat nothing but one species. If they have an entire field of soybeans, they may fill a majority of their stomach on that, but they may, they're may they still going to eat woody species or woody browse back in the timber as they're getting, as they're moving from their bedding area to the, to the crop field. That's just the way they work. They're constantly browsing. So they're eating, when they're moving, they're eating a, a smorgasbord of species. And so... These deer came into the food plot, and you can see them browsing on the uh, great, uh, browsing all over the food plot, eating um, different species that we had planted, but then moving to the edge and eating some of the native vegetation, and then eventually moving to eating more of the acorns. And it was like if you were to harvest that doe and, and look at her stomach contents, you'd see a mixed, mixed bag, mixed bag. Cliche <laughs> is that sounds a yeah. mixed bag of of uh, forage. And uh, so that's why putting food plots, having food plots in known travel corridors or n- next to known acorn trees or acorn groves um, to where you can hunt both food sources is a great plan. Uh, and that's why, like, we have these awesome giant 100-plus-year-old white oaks that produce a ton of acorns that, that we know on the edge of the food plot we got food and we know in the food plot we have food. Totally. So to me, it's like uh, I'm looking for an area when I'm unsure of the food source. um, I want to try and hunt close to a known bedding area 
on a food source that I suspect they'll be eating. And, and so that food plot's close to bedding, but also has uh, the acorns right there too. So we've got the white oak trees, and we've got the food plot, and it's close to bedding. So it was one of those things, let's monitor it with trail camera, or let's just kind of observe it. The first night we kind of observed it, and uh, we saw deer in the area. We knew they were probably going to that food plot. Yeah, and really, I think I think the next morning was a great um, you know, hunt too. We we put ourselves back in to the oaks um, and saw probably a, a decent three and a half year old buck uh, move past through a little bedding area and bed down not far from us. Um, but he had come from that same direction we had hunted the previous night, and where we know there's lots of oaks in and around this big drain. Um, and he had worked out of that, come across right in front of us, bedded down. It's like, okay, just that further intelligence um, that, hey, this is, we're, we're kind of checking things off. Okay, yep, deer are definitely, you know, working out of, uh, you know, the white oaks. They're, they're bedding here, they're doing this, um, they're bedded down this time this, this, and that, and putting a, a, a bigger plan together for that afternoon. Yes. Yep. And and the wind had certainly shifted. Um, the cold front was def- – at that point, the cold front was well in place. And I think I think the low was 41. Um, it was chilly that morning. Yeah, it w- and it was a refreshing chill. But it was right at 41. And, and most of the nights, the coolest that had been was really in the high 50s. Um, 55 at most. So it was a great, great cold front to be hunting that morning. Um, usually we don't hunt till later October, but uh, we had the right wind and had a great opportunity to get into some other big oaks close to a bedding area, and we saw deer. We saw deer, yep. And uh, so then we go into basically the shifting of cha- changing and, and constantly being mobile, and that's why like having the ability, whether that's through climbing tree stands portable tree stands that are light saddles probably rule out ladder stands <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. or or blinds but having the ability to tweak and change things I, there's very few farms i would say a very low percentage of farms where stands are in place and are going to stay there uh and and in fact some of the farms i've hunted or ranches i've hunted where the stands have been in the same place because notoriously they're they're in the right spot um that's when you start getting the condition of deer looking and checking that tree for hunters for a hunter in that tree stand so i like the ability to tweak and move and change and and kind of move around uh the farm but the food plot especially and that's what we did and Uh, what we talked about a couple weeks ago is there's you have Honestly, in, in in a fall like this, the scenario of white oaks everywhere, you've got to be able to be mobile and think. Like we asked ourselves multiple times throughout this cold front of, okay, what would I be doing if I was a deer? Where would I be bedding? And where would I be going? How would I be getting there? To basically say, okay, I know I'm mobile. I've got the right setup to be mobile. What's my best opportunity with the with the latest information we got from trail cameras? And then as a deer, what would I be doing? And we put ourselves in the right place. That's right. Um, and and it, I think, so when we hunted that ridge, let's just say out of four hunts, because it was, it was basically a core area or a, 
an area that was a ridge, two ridges with the draw in between. We hunted um, the stand we call Dollhart. Now we're getting two Texas references mm-hmm. here. Um, so I'm giving away the stand location. But we've got Dollhart, which is close to Amarillo. And uh, we saw deer, and we hunted on a south wind. We got a southeast wind, and we hunted up on the ridge top, and we saw deer. Um, and then, and there's still a bunch of sign. We're seeing scrapes. We're seeing a lot of tracks. We just know deer are in the area. The next morning, or a couple days later, we get that cold front, and now we're getting a northwest wind. So we hunt the south side of this area, and we see deer, which appear to be coming from the same kind of area down in the draw. And uh, we know that that's the area we really want to hone in and, and, and hunt. So that afternoon was like, let's go back to the food plot, because that's probably the best acorns in the area. Um, even though there's a ton of them, we, the difference is a deer who's a browser has the ability to eat greens and acorns and heavily like a woody browse because we have heavy TSI right around this food plot. Well, and it, it's kind of funny because at that at that point, you know, we, we originally hunted that ridge and approached, you know, with a southeast wind. We had a southeast wind the first night we observed deer, and now we've got a complete wind change, but we're going back to the same ridge. Um, but all that MRI allowed us to know, hey, if I have this northwest wind, I can make a slight adjustment to how I'm going to hunt this ridge and plot and white oaks and 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 probably be successful if deer do the same thing that they did and came together and and that goes with with years of hunting not a lot of years but just a couple of years of hunting this area and knowing that most of the deer tend to bed west of amarillo yeah and which means that Amarillo is the food plot, and so if they're bedded west down towards Dollhart, which is where we were hunting the first night and saw more deer there, it was okay. That's where a lot of deer are bedding, and they're moving up towards Amarillo. All right, on the southeast wind, we could hunt the very east side of this food, excuse me, of this food plot and blow the scent just over the edge of the food plot and, and across uh, way over the holler. Uh, where they're not going to smell us anyway, unless they're standing, unless they come to the very east side of the food plot and, and come into the woods, which they have no reason to do that. Coming um, from basically due west of that, that yes. plot. And so, okay, well, that's the way we're going to hunt it. But then when you get the northwest, we know that we can move further down the edge of the food plot, more towards the just the south side of Amarillo, and blow our scent back over the next big draw to the south of us and not have to worry about deer smelling us. And knowing that the deer are most likely going to come from the west. And that's exactly what happened. Yep. Um, yep. We saw them coming, and you could hear them coming. Um, they end up walking the edge of the food plot, coming in on the north side of it, um, but came from, from the west. And uh, it's just a, a, a great case of we had diversity in our food. We had bedding close to the food. Um, so deer were on their feet before dark. And shoot, you shot that big doe. I don't think yeah. it was the first time we mentioned what it was, wasn't it? A doe? I guess not. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, like for us, understand that we've managed a lot of farms and, and we've worked a lot of farms and um, we've kind of been under that have to shoot mature deer. Now, we, I shot a good buck on the farm three at falls ago. At just Dahl off Hart, this ridge. Uh, that was three and a half. So we're kind of just focused on shooting deer that make our heart pump or, or older deer. Um, and so, uh, 
that's kind of the plan, but we still try to shoot a few does here and there just to kind of keep the population in check. And uh, we had a doe come in super pretty good time. I mean, I mean yeah, it was. I think it was probably about 6'10"-ish she came in, and, and end of shooting light, feasible shooting light is, is like 6'50". Um, so came in, plenty, plenty of light, and she fed around. I It took a while to grab the bow because, you know, you don't want to ever rush into anything, but she came in, worked in, she settled down, just started feeding, feeding on the food plot. Uh, the Legacy Blend, which I will say we covered in the Habitat Heroes podcast this week. So if you want a breakdown of what all that is, make sure you download that podcast as well. But she came in and was feeding on that pretty heavily. Um, checked the licking branch. I thought that was pretty cool, you know, to see that. She worked that, um, fed around on some oaks underneath that licking branch. And as she was making her way um, a little further east along the ridge, she presented a shot opportunity, and uh, it was ended up being 31 yards. Um, did have to stop her in some, so there's some branches and everything. She crosses one little shooting lane, gets to another, has to, uh, don't go ahead and just bat, but do the little kind of click of the click of the teeth, and she stops and whips her head around. Um, Adam did film it, and he had a good little gap to, sh- to shoot through with the camera, and uh, had a pretty good open lane. She was on edge, so did aim like we've talked about in the past. Aim low. Head up. Head was up. Well, it was funny because I went back and I watched the footage. When she whipped her head around, her head was up. And I'm as I'm settling the pin, I didn't realize it because I'm just focused right there on that one spot I need to hit. She actually turns her head back and starts to, starts to lower. It didn't get all the way down, but... Um, sure enough, she, uh... Was she lowering it, like, as she was walking? Like, not lowering it to eat, or lo- was it more like... Kind of like that initial, yeah, that initial, like, it was it was halfway down. Head, head goes forward <coughs> to walk. Yeah. Yeah, not... Because there's, like, the position, of course, there's all kinds, but if you look at a deer, their head is is really up at alert, down when they're feeding, but, like, when they walk, their head is not full all the way up it kind of drops a little bit nose out type yep. type and that that's probably what it was i'm guessing and she did drop um because again i had to stop her and make sure both good in the shooting lanes and so she was on edge and and boom she dropped right into it and um i mean that's that's a conversation shoot that goes back to pod i don't even know what podcast that was but it way back probably Two months ago, three months ago, we covered the the how to shoot our postures to shoot deer in. Yes. Um, so yes. if you want to, th- we'll put that in the show notes, I guess, of, yeah. of Make what, a link to that. Yeah, what podcast that was, and you'll hear us discuss it and why we why we encourage people to shoot deer with their Read head Read body language. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That you have to, I, th- I think, honestly, if you want the most effective bow hunters out there consistently, um, are, are ones that read body language of deer and aim accordingly. Yes. I, I totally think that and believe To me, that. it's like it doesn't matter head up or head down. If the deer is alert, even if their head's up, you still don't shoot at a deer that's on edge, um, especially at further distances. That Don't complicate it. Read their body language. Yep. Made the shot, came in, 
right behind, uh, I, I would say, third rib back. And she was quartering away pretty pretty severely. Um, third rib from the back, went in, liver, double lung, and popped just behind that ops, uh, offside shoulder. Didn't come, that wasn't a complete pass through. Um, she carried the arrow with her all the way. And uh, good blood trail. I, I always like a good blood trail following. And she bled, even with that arrow in um, and not an exit, bled very, very good. And that's always good. We took up the trail pretty much right afterwards, found her at dark. And sure enough, she was piled up and we got her out of there. But it, all around, it, it came it came down to asking yourself, being a woodsman, what are you doing? And being mobile, playing the wind. Just That's like, it. honestly, I would say just like most harvests come together, it's what are deer doing and playing the wind. And don't be afraid to move. I, I think sometimes we get, it's like, oh, that's too much work to move a stand. But for us, we knew if we went back to the stand in the same location, which the wind was still fine for, um, yeah, we, we only moved the stand 50 yards. Yeah. But 50, moving at 50 yards meant we had deer in front of us pretty early so we had plenty of camera light correct so i mean it resulted in in a harvest can't argue with that no not at all i think uh that pretty well wraps up the hunt i mean it was the first one of the of the of the fall for us you know we passed on some does earlier Uh, we haven't really got aggressive for a a doe harvest just because we don't have the numbers where we have to shoot a bunch Mm -hmm. of does it was a it was a good scenario it's a good situation for us it was more of a Plenty of daylight, short drag. We're ready she to ran eat some towards deer meat. the road. <laughs> yeah, so let's do it. And yeah. uh, that was that was really why. And uh, so anyway, yeah, that was it was an awesome hunt. But um, it, it's just uh, it's just a constant reminder the take home weight. Don't don't be afraid to go mobile, and yep. uh, know what the deer are doing. Try to understand that. Really watch, even though it is just does or or fawns or young bucks. Try to figure out if there's a pattern with it, if they're coming out on the same side, where are they coming from? Does that tell you what, what direction the bedding area is at? Um, and, and once again, define bedding areas. Uh, that's just one of those things like having an area that you know is the best bedding to where that's where the majority of the deer are going to be bedded. No, that's key. hundred percent right. key. Sometimes we focus too much on, on the food source and we could have the best food source in the country, but if you don't have the best, bedding close by then they may never get there till after dark so you know we said it it was like you know it was just a doe but that just doe shook me up man we were both shaking even before a shot was fired it didn't matter i was sitting there like oh my gosh this is this is awesome man i got deer doing deer things under 30 yards um just watching and I, i love even though like you could see everything a deer does at 30 yards, like putting up binos and getting that like just micro view of deer and their just alertness and attentiveness to everything. They're so fascinating. Um, and it shook me up. Yeah, did me too, and I was just <laughs> running the camera. I love it. All right, so would you rather? Yeah. Would you rather shoot a rage? Okay. Um just like the their I'm first broadhead or a rage two blade expandable or a rage three blade expandable? Um I I don't have experience with a three blade. 
Um, personally, I, I've shot Rage Two Blades a lot, and I I have zero zero like negative things to say. I have killed a lot of deer with Rages, and I I, I don't. And I'm kinda, not, I go from not, the. We're not sponsored or partnered with any. No. This is just our honest opinion. Yeah. And, and I, Matt sh- actually shot the doe the other night with a Rage 2 chis- blade. Yeah, chisel uh, tip. Chisel tip. Um, and, and it, you know, I, I don't. I, I'll Then if you have it, I guess speak. I guess what I'm saying is if it's, I guess I come from the school of thought of, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I have recovered, I think, every single deer I've shot with the Rage, I, I have recovered. Yeah, hundred well, percent. I've shot the two blade rear deploying expandables and the three blade, and I honestly like the two blades better than the three blades. Not saying there's anything wrong with the three blades, um, but I just once again, if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I've had a lot of success with the two blade expandable rather than the three blade, mm-hmm. and and I've had success with the three blade. I just honestly, based on my own observations, felt like I had much better blood trails with the two blade expandable. Interesting. So. I don't know. I and I felt like I got better, like a little bit better penetration. There was two blades to slip through ribs rather than three trying to. Well, and slide honestly, through. I've I've had, and this happened actually on a, on a good buck in early November, November first when I was in college. I shot a doe, didn't know she was getting chased by this buck, but she comes by the stand, fifteen yards, whack, shoot her. She runs off, and then this buck comes up and stops fifteen yards away from me, and I grabbed another arrow. And he was, it was just the right perfect angle. And the way that I shot him with the rage as well, the way that broadhead entered and the rotation in flight, it entered vertically and yeah. it went and spliced between ribs in like on the entry and exit. And the deer, I guess, so sharp, everything. He was adrenaline pumping, chasing a doe. He had no idea what happened to him. He ran 15 yards and stood there and just bled out. Yeah. And just like. And he was facing dead away. I was just looking at his tail. I could see blood on both sides. Just pump is like, oh my gosh, that's yeah. nasty. But <laughs> I, I, that's why I like the two blade, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I don't know what time we're at. We're at 32, so that pretty well wraps us up for this week's podcast. Um, I say, stay mobile, stay mobile, stay aggressive, um, and and always be safe and enjoy your time out there. We will catch you guys next time. See ya.